Welcome back to the last episode of 2022 and we are ending a great year of guests on such a high. I know this is really hard to say but I do believe this is one of the best guests I've had on this podcast so far. Today I'm joined by Ed Jackson, a former professional rugby player whom after a tragic accident in 2017 was left quadriplegic with signs that he would never be able to walk again. Not only can he now walk, but Ed is a mountaineer, having climbed Snowdon in 2018, exactly a year to date from his accident. He then got the bug and went to climb Mount Bue in the Alps, and then he tackled a peak in the Himalayas. The stories that you are about to hear are hugely inspiring, and because Ed is such an inspiration, he has launched the charity Millimeters to Mountains to help those who have gone through similar traumas and keep them motivated. To top it all off, as this episode is going live, Ed is currently climbing a peak in California with his friend Ross and a five-foot Christmas tree. So a huge good luck to them. I am so grateful for Ed coming on this podcast. It really is a fantastic episode, so I really hope you enjoy it. Ed Jackson, a former professional rugby player, founder and trustee of Millimeters to Mountains, which creates a positive change for those encountering adversity or mental and physical challenges. He's a motivational speaker and about to launch a rum brand. I am so honoured to have Ed here with me today. Well, Ed, thank you so much for coming today. I'm really excited to have this conversation. So how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me in this beautiful flat with amazing view it's nice being the warm though isn't it i know it's so cold outside it is nice to like watch everyone cold outside (laughs) (laughs) so to start off do you mind giving us a little like elevator pitch on kind of like who you are and what you do oh gosh that's quite a tough one because there's a lot of different strands i know i tried to write linkedin by the other day it was like i'm kind of you know jack of all trades master of none (laughs) that's definitely not um, true I, i suppose the main thing is a former professional rugby player. So I spent the majority of my life as a professional rugby player. Um, now I am a charity founder. Uh, I work in TV on the sports side. Um, I am a motivational speaker, speak key- keynote talks. Um, I am in the middle of founding a rum brand and I'm a mentor to other people who have been through sort of trauma um, like myself. So yeah. Lots of different stuff. Amazing. I mean, I can't wait to hear about how you balance all this because I feel like that's an art. Not as well. very well is the quick answer. No, <laughs> we'll definitely get on that. So, a tradition on the podcast is a quick fire round all about food because this is about food at the end of the day. Yeah. So, sweet or savory? Savory. Juicy burger or overloaded salad? Juicy burger. Crisps or popcorn? Oh, God, that's tough. Uh, crisps. Just. I, just. Yeah. <laughs> Ice cream or sorbet? Ice cream. Cook in or eat out? Cook in. And what's your favourite delivery? Oh, do you know what? Where I live, we get we have rubbish delivery options. I've been in London in the last couple of days. I'm like, oh my God, look Let's at delivery. Let's go through delivery. Like, yeah. it's unbelievable. Um, last night I had Oaxaca, so Mexican, which was pretty oh, decent. Oh yeah, yeah, that's good. I feel like Mexican is a good one to order because mm. you're probably not going to make it as well at home. Yeah, and there was like five of us, so you can just get like, 20 different things and all just dig in yeah Yeah. no I love that so to start with I think a good place to start is like in 2017 where 
your life kind of took a massive pivot. So do you mind explaining a bit about what happened in 2017? Yeah, so um, I was 10 years into a professional rugby career. Everything was going very well. I was playing down in Wales um, and I was recovering from a shoulder injury. Went home for the weekend uh, and it was nice day. So we went round to a friend's house who had a pool. And long story short, I effectively... I'd never been in the pool before and it was like a feature pool with a waterfall in one end and I effectively picked the wrong end of the pool to dive into which um, you know I've done before not and I've sort of hit my head on the bottom it's happened when I was a kid but this time it I dived almost vertically in and the water was only about three feet deep and I couldn't see the bottom because the waterfall was like making disturbing the surface and I hit my head so hard on the top that um I dislocated the bottom of my neck and the disc at the bottom of my neck exploded and I was rendered completely paralysed straight away from like the shoulders down. I didn't know that at the time. Like I just knew I'd hit my head really hard and I didn't lose consciousness. But when I tried to stand up, I realised I couldn't. And then of course that was pretty scary because I was still underwater. So I thought I was going to drown. But luckily I had my dad and my friend there. They pulled me to the surface. Um, But then... You know, it, it was a very serious spinal cord injury to the point where I had to be resuscitated three times, you know, in the ambulance. Um, and I had no movement or sensation recover for nine days when they told me that that was going to be it. You know, I was going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life and I was hoping to get the use of my arms back. So, like, like quite a lot obviously has happened since then, considering yeah. what I'm doing now. But I, I still have a spinal cord injury. I've managed to recover past that point and past the point the doctors said... I'm limping around and have the um, the underlying health conditions that go along with a spinal cord injury, of which there are many. Um, but all things considered, I've been very, very lucky to get back to the point I have done. hundred percent. It's crazy, though. And, like, that moment when you realise that you could potentially be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life, like, having been a rugby player up until that point, what, like, went through your mind? Like, how were you mentally at that point? It, it was... Difficult. I think the first time you hear that, you you are in shock. Almost for the first week, you're in shock because it's something that you think you hear it happens to other people, um, but you never think it's going to happen to you. So it mm-hmm. feels like a bit of a nightmare. And actually, every day when you wake up, it's it's like torture because you have to you realize it all over again. And you've been dreaming as if you're running around and normal, and you wake up and you realize, oh my god, I'm actually quadriplegic in a bed. So the first you know well for a long time it was really hard psychologically especially at night like during the day you've got your family and friends there and you're kind of distracting yourself and trying to make light of it and in a weird way you're almost I felt guilty for the emotional stress that I'd put on my family and my friends and and my fiance and stuff so I was trying to put a brave face on but then at night when they leave you know you're on an intensive care ward which doesn't stop like you can't even like breathe properly for yourself you can't go to the toilet for yourself wash yourself all of these things and as you mentioned you know coming from being a professional sportsman that was tough to deal with you know mm. ego wise I suppose as, as much as everything as much as it being terrifying for the rest of your life you've kind of hung your hat on being physical and capable and the person people go to to help them out with stuff and now you can't do anything for yourself so it was confusing scary um and I just had to learn to develop ways to kind of stay in a positive mindset or as positive as possible to sort of mm. help my recovery, yeah. Definitely. And I guess a lot of people in your situation could have easily just been like, well, that's it. Like, just kind of give in to the situation. But I feel like 
you had a completely different mindset to it and like you kind of fought against the situation and you were like this is not the reality for me like and you kind of fought against it so can you talk a bit about like your kind of recovery and like how you tackled it because it was I feel like you've tackled it like you were on the rugby pitch rather than like just being like nah all right that's it then just being stubborn basically yeah or someone told me I couldn't do something so I was like I'm gonna do it because I've always been a bit rebellious like that but no it, it wasn't as simple as that I think up until the point the doctor the surgeon actually verbalized you're never gonna walk again I was just feeling sorry for myself you know I was like my life's over victim my why me didn't deserve this and weirdly, when he said that to me, I remember my mum, my wife being in the room and just thinking, actually, this isn't just about me. Like, I'm potentially going to be in a position where I'm going to need full-time care for the rest of my life, which is going to affect them as well. And it was what should have been the hardest thing in your life to hear, you're never going to walk again or you're never going to be independent again, was actually the most motivating thing I could have heard because... Um, even though I didn't actually think I would get back on my feet, I knew that if I didn't give it everything I could, and then my mum was going to have, or my wife was going to have to care for me for the rest of my life, I'll never be able to look myself in the mirror again because it's affecting them. Mm-hmm. So I moved the focus off myself and onto them. And then I spent every waking moment just trying to move something, trying to wiggle something, just hoping, praying, but more just going, right, if I've put the effort in, it doesn't happen, then at least it's not my fault. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those unlucky things. Um, and then only 48 hours later, my toe wiggled. And, and Yeah, it, I've seen, I think I read this or saw a video or something on maybe on your Instagram or yeah. something. And I was like, the wiggle of your toe, like you thought maybe it was like a twitch or something. And it was like, actually, you know, like you've actually told your toe yeah, to Yeah, it was move. the proper Kill Bill moment, you know, like trying yeah. to wiggle your toe. It, it, and it did. And then I couldn't actually feel it because the, the, the sort of sensation wasn't there. But I was sending the message, toe was moving, sending the message, toe was moving. And I just remember being like, Mum, get in it. Like, Look at it. Moving. <laughs> and then I just wouldn't stop moving it because I was like, don't go away, don't go away. And then bit by bit, you know, over the course of the next four or five months in the hospital, bit by bit, my body started coming back to me with a lot of hard work. Um, it wasn't a straight linear path upwards. It was, you know, it was, it was a roller coaster. Some days were good, some days were bad and it was emotional and there was still a lot of uncertainty, but at least I had something to aim for and I was progressing because if mm. I had a complete spinal cord injury, which some people do have, it wouldn't have mattered how hard I tried. I wouldn't have that opportunity and that also fed into it. You know, when I moved to the spinal unit, I was around other people who were, yes, better off than me, but also there were some that were worse off than me and also had complete injuries, didn't have the scope for recovery. And I knew a couple of people like that from rugby as well. So I thought, you know, if I've got this chance, you know, I've got to, I've got to go for it for them as well, you know, because mm. they would kill for that opportunity to just make any improvement. I never thought how far I'd get and I never dreamed I'd get to where I got now, but I was just clinging on to that every day, just trying to get a little bit more. Yeah, it's such a positive mindset. Like, do you think your mindset has completely shifted to, like, the way you look at things now? For example, just then you were like, there are people worse off and better off. Like, I guess everyone should kind of think about that when they're having a bad day or whatever. Like, yeah, right now they're probably having a bad moment, but, like, there's probably people way worse than them in that situation. So do you think you've carried that through to, like, your life? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been it's been the most seismic psychological change you could ever imagine and like it's benefited me massively in the way that I view the world and on paper I'm still way worse off than I was before you know I'll never be able to run again I'll never be able to I limp everywhere I've often got to wear like catheter bags I can't sleep properly I have spasms all the time 
But I am so much happier than I ever was, even when I was a professional rugby player. Like, how stupid is that? But it's a perspective shift. You're right. Like, you you start to realise when you... It, often it takes losing something to appreciate having it in the first place. And I think before I was always just looking at the stuff other people had and like, I want to play for that team or, you know, th- this person's got this job or I want that house or this car or blah, blah, blah. Looking up and feeling shit about the stuff I don't have. And now I'm just grateful that I can brush my own teeth. Yeah. and drive a car you know and it, when when the bar's there you just spend every day a lot happier and I think it's important for people to step back and appreciate where they are in that moment because otherwise we can get lost in just staring up into the future mm. at, at things that we're we, we're driven and motiva- motivated towards but then you just get stuck on this hedonic treadmill and you never actually reach where you want to go because it's a mindset to want more yeah you think once I get there I'll be happy but you won't because you'll just have moved your goals on so you've got it's good to have goals to motivate you on the journey but you have to appreciate how lucky you are to just have food on the table to be able to walk down the stairs you know like things like that definitely it's so true it's so so true especially as like we're coming to the end of a year it's really interesting like people are like setting their goals for 2023 but sometimes you also got to see what you've achieved in like 2022 as well I think it's there's a lot of pressure on like goals and what's next and what's next but there's not that much appreciation on like what have I got now what have I done yeah um so yeah no super interesting and with your recovery what could you kind of explain like the things that kind of went into that and also a bit about like the nutrition and food side of it because obviously you're building your body up from kind of inside out so how yeah could you explain about the physical and yeah yeah so that I mean initially I was being fed through a tube for a long time so you kind of don't have much control over what goes into your body and I went from an 18 stone so I was 112 kilos which is about 18 stone when I got injured um to 92 kilos so I lost like three stone of just lean muscle in the first four weeks of hospital because my muscles literally were having no electrical impulses going to them and your body uses your muscle tissue in that situation as energy because it's faster to metabolize than fat so I lost three stone and like all my all my mates from school especially the girls I've got a big group of girl mates from school they were like oh my god let's go on the ed diet let's just go and lie in hospital and lose three stone (laughs) but it was not good weight it was like I actually got fatter I think but lost three stone in in muscle so but then the, the recovery process after that as you can imagine like playing rugby and being an 18 stone guy you know, you're looking at like four or 5,000 calories a day to like maintain your weight and all the training you're doing. And then all of a sudden you're not, you're hardly moving at all. So the diet obviously changes completely. And also you've got to think more about neurological recovery. And then there's lots of supplements involved in that. So it's re-educating yourself around the kind of things that could potentially help in that space rather than just putting muscle on and holding weight to be better at sport. And then it's changed over time because actually now the way I move is really inefficient. So moving from A to B, like humans are good on two feet. We're efficient movers. It doesn't take much energy to get from A to B. It's what it's one of the reasons we're such successful species and why we can hunt so well, you know, in, in Africa, because we can outrun things. Mm-hmm. We're not as fast as antelope. If you injure it, we could go for days and days and days. You look at marathon runners. Whereas I move around like a zombie basically so it takes a lot more energy for me to get from a to b so yes i'm not running around and training like i used to but now i'm back on my feet and i try and keep busy i'm actually burning more calories on average a day than probably or a similar amount of calories a day as i was when i was playing wow so i eat a surprising amount again now than um as i not as much as i used to but not as far off yeah not so far off the main difference that i've changed now i think is um 
I'm capable. So I sort of like to do intermittent fasting and instead of watching too carefully what I eat, I think it's ingrained in me to eat reasonably healthy. I mm. enjoy eating burgers and chips and popcorn and stuff every now and again. But having played professional sport for so long, I cook a lot and I'm, I'm, I eat naturally healthy. So I don't have to watch too carefully what I eat. And now I just tend to time restrict it instead of actually volume restrict each meal instead okay interesting I guess you had such a background in kind of knowing what's going into your body from like being a professional rugby player it's kind of worked in your favor in terms of recovery because you're like right you kind of have the education to yeah work it in your favor yeah yeah just kind of interesting so now yeah I guess it has changed so much from all the recovery and now you're eating the same amount which is mad Uh, considering it, it, it I've actually now had to re-educate myself on now that I'm taking on the the, ma- the challenges in the mountains. Like if I'm going to Nepal for a month, for example, when I first went, I got as lean as I could and as fit as I could because I was like, that's what you've got to be as a mountaineer. But then you find you lose so much weight when you're up there because at altitude, I'm burning sort of 10,000 calories a day, which you just can't put back in your body. And you end up, you know, really struggling for energy. So actually now training to go to the mountains especially on longer expeditions it's about putting as much fat on as you can beforehand which is a way more fun type of training because <laughs> yeah, you're going to lose it anyway but your body needs those energy stores yeah. so that's a re-education for me because it's a new space that's not something you would I would have done in rugby Definitely. but it is something I need to now do in mountaineering and the impact as you know that nutrition can have over your mental state your you know physical state your abilities under different circumstances is massive and yeah. I do appreciate that. Definitely. You kind of like intro that really well onto my next question, which <laughs> is your first kind of expedition. And I believe it was Snowdonia. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. So can you explain a bit about what happened on the lead up to that? Like, why did you kind of tackle Snowdonia and how? How did you do it as well? <laughs> I don't know how still, but it's one of those things sometimes you've just got to, and it's an attitude I kind of take in life now, you've just got to say yes to things and set yourself on unrealistic goals sometimes because you never know if you're going to make them or not and Snowden was definitely one of them because I was still in a wheelchair at nine months and I was you know starting to walk and I told my physios and doctors I want to try and set an example for all those other people in hospital who'd been given a guarded prognosis or a negative prognosis or told they weren't going to walk again that maybe it'd be possible so I just wanted to be seen on my feet and I knew there was a bit of a shop window because of being a rugby player before and there'd be some press about it. So if one person in hospital saw that story and it it inspired them to try, then that'd be worth doing. And I kind of opened it up on a blog that I'd started and I thought a few people might turn up, but there were 70 people that came to the start line who I didn't know who'd just come to support or were there for their own reasons, were going through stuff themselves. Um, And the first thing I thought was, oh God, I'm going to have to get to the top now. You know, the pressure. But it was this amazing weekend. It was one of the hardest things I'd ever done a mountain that I used to run up for training you know now took nine hours to hobble up with all this support um but standing on the summit it was like it wasn't just the what we'd done that day to get there it was that whole year you know and I was surrounded by all the people that helped me get to that point because getting better from one of these injuries is it's a huge team effort obviously it takes a lot of effort from me but also from all the physios, doctors, family members, you know, without them, you couldn't do it. And they were all around me and we were still on this mountain. And I was just like, didn't think I'd ever get to a place like that again. No. And, and then I was hooked and now it's got completely out of hand. <laughs> yeah, we're going to yeah. touch on that because there's been some moments which seem just ridiculous. I can't even imagine them. Um, but that is amazing. And that was 
Am I right saying that was a year after your accident? Yes, I deliberately wanted to do it on on the one-year mark. So it was the 8th of April, exactly a year later, because I thought that would be a good message, you know, being told you're not going to walk again, and then a year later climbing a mountain so it's yeah it's incredible so then you were hooked and then i believe it was the alps were next am i right am i in the wrong order okay so the alps were next good research yeah i'm I'm, (laughs) i think i've got this right so the alps which again so that's probably a whole different ball game in terms of altitude in terms of like conditions temperature so again what challenges did that one bring the main thing that that brought so obviously i was like right what's next and and i was loving just being able to have that physical output because for me from coming from sport i get my endorphins from training and physical you know if i was you know an academic or you know someone it it's not as bad because you can sit in bed and read for the rest of your life and some people love doing that but i was going mad that i couldn't even move fast enough to get myself out of breath and that was taking a toll on my mental health so I was loving the sort of exertion side of it as well as at this point not really realizing the power of what being outdoors was giving me but also that community element and still a bit of proving people wrong and seeing how how far and how high I could go but the Alps all of a sudden you're in proper mountains and we climbed a mountain called Mont Bouet which is three and a half thousand meters so it's like three times the height of Snowdon it took two days to get to the top but the on Snowdon you're going up a path on this you're going over boulders and of course I can't move properly it's taking a lot of support and trust in other people that you've only just met and um, it was again a very very powerful experience and I think actually looking back probably more of an outrageous achievement than Snowden was given what we went through to get to the top yeah. and it was kind of teaching me something that I'd learned along the way since my accident was actually we are capable of so much more than we think we are like even from rugby before you think you can you've pushed yourself to your limits you know you're in pre-season you're doing like fitness training for like months on end you're getting pushed in fitness tests you're almost being sick because it's so well, you are being sick it's so tough and you're like right that's me I'm done I can't do anymore mm-hmm. but when your back is really against the wall you know whether it's when it's like learning to walk again on the line or getting to the top of a mountain with all everyone watching you realize actually you're only at about 50% of your capabilities and you look you find this extra space and you realize that actually your body is way more capable than your mind tells you it is because mm. your mind's putting that sort of defense mechanism in place to keep your body safe and if you can push past that then you can achieve way more so I was enjoying that element of it as well yeah that is so true actually like I think your mind definitely stop well your body probably stops you no your mind stops you before your body does exactly That's right yeah. yeah um yeah crazy and then the himalayas now this is the one i want to talk about because i read a story that you were stuck on the side of the mountain overnight for two days one night i think yeah i mean one moment you're quadriplegic in a hospital and the next minute you're stranded on the <laughs> edge of a mountain like this is just ridiculous so how what happened how come you were stuck there and also like at this point like your perspective on like your your needs must be so so different and extreme so yeah could you share a bit about that yeah so I mean this is now that was now you know over five years since my accident so a lot had happened in between in terms of mountaineering and exploring and I'd got um, I had the opportunity to go to Nepal back in 2019 and it was just to help set up a spinal unit over there and I just got completely hooked on the place the people you know as 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 a lot of people do and I went back the next year to climb a mountain over there broke the height record for someone with a spinal cord injury 
and then earlier this year we went back to, to, to try and break it again but in a much more extreme way on this mountain called Himlung Himal which is a 7,000 metre mountain on the Tibet border it was a month long expedition we didn't see anyone else for three weeks we were out of signal for that whole time um, self-supported you know camping with a team of six um, Sherpas and porters and stuff and a lot of the conditions had changed on the mountain over the last two and a half years no one had been up there since covid it's not like a regularly climbed mountain because it's so remote and one thing led to another effectively that meant that the highest camp couldn't be set up so we had to push for the summit from 12 1600 meters it was a 1600 meter summit day at over 6000 meters and you just it's really hard to breathe at that height you're at eight percent oxygen and, and at sea level it's 28 percent oxygen so it's like at least three times as hard and you're already knackered but then 20 hours into the summit push when we're on the way back down the our guide fell down a crevasse and like disappeared down a crevasse he wasn't roped up so luckily he survived and luckily he was so it was just his head torch at the bottom he'd fallen about 20 meters at the bottom of this crevasse we managed to rescue him out of there but what we then realized was the snow that we had walked across the night before on the way up the mountain that was frozen had now softened up in the sun during the day and we were just surrounded by crevasses but it just it just looked like a clean snow slope with two steps would be fine the third one boom you just disappear so um we were stuck there we radioed for a helicopter and given that we'd been going now for over 20 hours because we'd left 10 p.m the night before um we were all pretty knackered we'd run out of food run out of water and we phoned the helicopter at like 6 p.m the next day and they said look you're too far away from Kathmandu for us to get there before it gets dark and because the mountains are so high there the helicopters can't fly above the height of the mountain so they're like you're gonna have to hold on till morning so we had to survive the night on the mountain with no tents no food no water and it was minus 30 so we just huddled up and we just hoped that we could stay awake because we knew if we fell asleep we'd be dead and we just had to try and get and it was it was a long night to put it bluntly I um, mean this is just absolutely <laughs> mad I really feel sorry for your wife and all this because she <laughs> must be like so scared when you go off and do these things yeah I mean well luckily she we were out of radio contact for a long time so she yeah. knew the day we were supposed to be summiting and then it was an extra day and then she was like well and I said it might be an extra day or two because it depends on weather conditions then she got a phone call from me and I was like we're all alive she was like what do you mean I was like but this happened and fortunately you know there was a little bit of frostbite but amazingly we all survived um because it could have if the weather had changed in the night it was a very still night overnight that night and it, it was um I mean weirdly beautiful like you're almost hallucinating because you're so tired and out of it but you're at six thousand meters no with no ambient light within hundreds of miles so the stars it looks like i'll show you a photo afterwards but it looks like someone's just spray painted the sky wow so it was quite a surreal moment and it's almost like if i die now it's kind of like be all right yeah oh <laughs> but, um and so th this epic thing unfolded something that i would never choose to repeat and there were probably things in the planning we could have done differently um but there were a lot of things that were out of our hands as well but also something that i don't regret because given that we all got back safe it's another one of those moments that makes you check your life and go what am i doing what's important to me you know get yourself back on track could all end tomorrow you know yeah. it's quite a powerful moment and the fact i've stared death in this place twice is probably not a good thing because you do it enough times you're going to end up on the wrong side of yeah, it yeah yeah um but it's definitely something that can add to your life as well 
definitely definitely it's incredible I mean they say like cats have nine lives I feel like you've got like an yeah, infinite, infinite, infinite amount yeah. of lives like that is just an incredible moment and what was kind of going through your head in that moment in terms of you've got no food you're all trying to keep, like keep each other alive but like what yeah what's going through your head lots of different things and not a lot as well because a lot mm-hmm. of it is a bit of a blur but one of the things was I'm the reason everyone's here you know and that responsibility of you know like if it's one thing if I die but if other people here and my friends and you know or if one of them goes and I've got to go back and tell their family and it was my response it was my re- it was because of me they were there mm. I was just so dri- we were all so driven and motivated to make it through because I didn't want to have to answer that yeah you know and um and I think actually is it there's that question about is it selfish doing things like that you know and and you you went out there obviously a lot of it was motivated by my own goals of wanting to push myself further but massively motivated by trying to inspire other people Mm. you know who have physical limitations who might not normally think they can go to those environments you know just the regular person sat on the sofa um if they see me hobbling up a mountain it's like well actually I've got no excuse and they don't necessarily have to go to Nepal but even if they just get outside and go for a walk but at the same time, at what cost, you know, if if I'm not here anymore, then I can't help anymore. And it's not fair on the people you love. So there was a lot of soul searching going on. Fortunately, the sun came up, the helicopter came yeah. and it was all OK, but it, it might not have been. And and that's something that I dwell on and, and think about when I'm planning future expeditions. Definitely, definitely. But there seems like a common denominator here where like you're always thinking about the other people that you're impacting, which is really interesting. Like when you're in hospital, you're thinking about your fiance at the time your wife your parents and like and then again when you're in the mountain you're thinking about everyone else around you which is quite interesting so that kind of leads me on to like the charity because I feel like again you're always thinking about others so millimeters to mountains came about and I guess that kind of came about as um result of like your addiction in a way to the mountains (laughs) and the feeling that you were getting so yeah talk a bit about the charity and how when did this start in your journey so obviously you did Snowden and then yeah when did it start and like what's it doing so it's the idea is the seed was planted on Snowden when then we were all up there and there were other people who'd been through things that were coming along to join in and there was that power of community and people sharing their stories with each other and it was more that sensation of actually people coming up to me and going do you know what you've really helped me through my own just by sharing my story and I suppose approaching it in a certain way and that was the first time I felt of any use or if first time of any good had come from my accident. And that was an amazing feeling. There was a sense of purpose there again because I just thought I was going to be a burden on everyone for the rest of my life, you know. Everyone was going to have to help me out and do things for me. What am I going to do now? I always just thought I was going to be a rugby player forever, which obviously was never going to be the case. But um, now I was like, well, hang on, maybe I can do something else. And that came in the form of helping others. So initially weirdly it was actually a coping mechanism for me because if I if good can come from this accident for other people if enough good can come from this accident for other people then by definition you can turn it from a bad thing into a good thing so I set out on this mission for good to come from the situation and that's kind of how the charity seed started it didn't actually develop into a full concept and did I have enough did I basically have the guts to actually go for it until about a year and a half later? But that idea was always there. And then I realized 
over that course of that next year after Snowden, how much being outdoors was helping me, being in nature, being around other people, that power of community. And then there was also, if I'm honest, a sense of guilt of I've had all this amazing support from people, from the rugby community, from my family, and I've been able to make this recovery. And a lot of people I know, a lot of my friends from the Spinal Unit, just don't have that. Like, I took my family and friends for granted, I think. There were people in there who didn't have any visitors for three months. And you're like, you're going through the worst thing in your life and you've got no one coming in. And I had friends and family in there every day. And it was almost driven by a sense of guilt. I was like, well, if I can share my amazing network with other people who are struggling, then maybe they can help them too. Mm-hmm. So that was part of it as well. So that's how it all started. Um, we've been running as a as a full charity for three years now. Um, the way we operate is we, we take eight beneficiaries on every year. People who have been through trauma, so psychological or physical we take them on an adventure somewhere in the around the world so we've been to norway morocco iceland nepal like proper life-changing adventures but then also i realized that it's very well going on one of these adventures if you go back to your normal life you could slip back into that rut quite quickly so we put a three-year development program in place where we fund life coaching retraining therapy whatever those individuals might need to really cement that change towards getting a more positive life um and it has worked surprise, like literally surprisingly well. And I say that in the, in the sense that I always thought it was going to work, but I didn't realise how well. Mm. Like our third year beneficiaries now are, aren't only happy, purposeful, like going on and doing amazing things, but they're all wanting, they've all developed careers that are helping other people. Two of them have become life coaches. One of them's set up an organisation training drone pilots who are in wheelchairs like it's so the ripple effect is amazing and because they've been helped they then want to help um yeah so it's really exciting and we've got a great board of trustees and and some really excited plans for next year and of course this has all happened over covid and when you're running a charity that runs trips all over the world it's not that easy during covid so the next few years are exciting for sure i mean amazing and it kind of I remember earlier on in the episode you were just saying that you feel happier now than when you were playing rugby and this kind of makes a lot of sense now that you've explained like what you're doing and the impact you're having on other people's lives and do you find them or do they find you? So um, they find us is mm-hmm. a short answer. Initially the first um, the first year we started I had a few people in mind that I wanted to help um, but we have a beneficiary application process and of course, as exposure for the charity gets greater and the work we're doing gets better, we get more and more applications every year. So we had over 30 this year. Wow. Um, and it's tough when you've only given out eight full beneficiary places, but we've padding, we're padding it out and growing the charity so that we have tiers of beneficiaries because we don't say no to anyone, mm. but we've got some great part. We've got a network of great partner charities that we can put, put point people towards. And of course, some people... Um, we won't be able to help in the right way. There'll be charities better placed to help certain individuals given whatever their circumstances are. So we'll help direct them with that. But also we're starting a Together Outdoors campaign next year where we're running and funding walking groups and mental health groups all over the UK so that like more people can get involved. And you don't necessarily have to have been through trauma to like benefit yeah. from these sorts of things. And often people don't realise how much they need it until they try. They're like, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, but to answer your first question about being happier now, that's one piece of advice. That's a realization I made. That one piece of advice that I give to other people now is instead of if you're feeling down, it's, it's a real it's a real life hack. Like if you're feeling down and you're struggling, instead of trying to focus on yourself and make yourself feel better, go and make someone else feel better. 
and automatically the endorphins that we get as human beings because we're tribal creatures you will feel a million times better straight away to go and do something nice for someone else and you can take that to different levels it might just be going and paying for someone's coffee downstairs or opening the door for someone or just being nice or calling your grandma who you never speak to or just or doing charity work or you know and it's also a great grounder and a great leveler i know a few of my mates who've started volunteering as samaritans you know um being on the other end of the phone for people who are struggling or are lonely and it not only gives you that sense of fulfillment the endorphins you get for helping another human being but it also makes you realize how fortunate you are and we spoke earlier about looking the other way and realizing how lucky you are to be where you are now rather than just wanting to go go forward and i think Mm -hmm. it's a great great grounder and a great level and a great reality check and everyone i know that's involved that involves helping others in their lives they're normally happy people as a result of it yeah it's probably the best advice actually i feel like we're in a world where we're very we are just naturally very self-centered and everyone's like self-development self-care self 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 constantly you but like what about focusing on other people yeah, but that's fine say. like focus on other people because it's going to help you yeah, you know, yeah it, it, exactly. it, that's actually fine you know and i think charity should be rewarding like people yeah. who come and support us we will take we don't just take beneficiaries away on trips we have support to the charity come away on adventures all over the world but in in turn they are helping the beneficiaries but they're having an amazing time too and why, mm. why should charity be a struggle you know doing good feels good and that's okay yeah. don't feel guilty for feeling good for doing good yeah no definitely that just makes that just makes so much sense so i mean what's next next year for the charity so you mentioned you've got some things planned. I'd love to hear. Um, well, I'm actually off to California on Saturday to go and hopefully carry a Christmas tree up the highest mountain in America. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. So How's that going to happen? How, I mean... Well, me and, me and my friend Ross, we had a stupid idea last year that we wanted to do something fun as a fundraiser for Christmas. So we carried a five-foot Christmas tree up 12 of the highest peaks in the UK in the six-day run-up to Christmas. Um, with lights and music and like it was it was really hard but a lot of fun and we managed to raise a lot of money from it so we want to do the same again this year but we thought we'd step it up a bit so it's a serious mountain like it's gonna be crampons ice axes ropes and a five foot christmas tree so i can't even get my head around this so in terms of you climbing this mountain i feel like you probably use support with your hands a lot whilst yeah. you're climbing so if you've also got a five foot christmas tree where, where does a tree come into this well actually ross will be carrying it most of the time and the mm. idea started because he's like an ultra like he does ultra endurance events all the time and he's like let's do something together and i was like hang on a minute this isn't really fair because like, i've got disability <laughs> and you do like doing ultra events he's like fine let's even it out i'll carry something and i was like well it's christmas why don't you carry a christmas tree and i thought he was going to carry like a plastic you know thing you put on your kitchen counter turned up with a five foot real christmas tree and berghouse i'm an ambassador for they developed a bag for us we've got a specially adapted bag that holds a christmas tree oh my god and it's just it's just a lot of fun and like i i I, it's tough for me because i have adapted kit and like my um disability affects me in different ways especially in the cold so i have to focus on climbing myself and doing all of those sorts of things but I'm climbing next to a Christmas tree that's normally playing jingle bells and has fairy lights on. So it's good at keeping you in a better mood. Oh my God, I just, I just absolutely love it. So you just touched on something then which you haven't actually said the word disability until just then. Yeah. Would you, do you ever like, would you consider yourself, I know technically speaking you are, but like, I feel like you don't think of yourself as 
someone yeah, who's got disability. I mean, I, I'm definitely disabled like by definition like it's mm. just a word to d- define people but it's just funny what falls into the bracket of disabled because okay, everyone's yeah. got disabilities in mm. terms of like as a, you know we're all different as human beings you know some are more profound than others and some happen to fall into a medical category okay, and yeah. I don't like I don't deny that I'm disabled I wouldn't want to I'm like quite proud of the fact that I'm in that group of people but also at the same time there's there's plenty of people who don't fall into that group by definition and a lot of it is on the mental health side. You know, if someone is really struggling with anxiety or depression, you know, they are actually more disabled in inverted commas than me. Mm-hmm. You know, because they will struggle with life more in a lot of cases. But because it's not a label and because it's not visible, they don't get the respect, care, you know, um, sensitivity that they probably need or deserve. And I think it's a lot harder for people with hidden disabilities, in inverted commas, than it is for someone like me who's hobbling around and it's quite clear and obvious. Mm. So I think it's an interesting word. I don't deny it. Like, I don't think that... I I worked on the Paralympics this year with Channel 4 and we were getting told what words we can and can't use because every year it's changing. And we've got a full, like, cut... A full, like, sort of... um, presenter crew have all got disabilities ranging ranging cause of disability and we're being told we can't use the term able-bodied because right. it means that we're you're saying that we're not able-bodied and we're all there going yeah but we're not <laughs> like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. fine it's, it's just a fact like yeah. I think there's a real issue problem at the moment with that sort of woke movement and everyone getting angry on your behalf like it's not unless it, it's the tone behind how something's used and yes mm. I am disabled and I don't have an issue with that it's absolutely fine but I'm also very able at doing things too yeah so, I'm extremely yeah. able like not many people have done half of what you've done so yeah that's very interesting and I want to touch on like your physique and size because I felt like I read something which said that you kind of had to readjust to your kind of frame from being obviously rugby player big build that was like your and suddenly your frame changed mm. how was that kind of transition yeah I think it was it was difficult like subconsciously I remember after I managed to get some movement back and get back in the gym I was just so adamant on like getting back to like guns and six pack and like what you you know and it's just it was completely pointless it was it was counterproductive to my own recovery like my stuff I should have been focused on is like all the small movements flexibility all of those sorts of things which I spend my time doing now but it was stuck in my head that that's how I looked and that's how I was supposed to look. And I think it it was a process to get used to not being like that anymore and get comfortable and accept that that's just not who I am anymore. And actually, it's counterproductive to be wasting my time doing that mm. because it doesn't matter how much I bench press anymore, for example. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm now completely comfortable with the way I am and the way I look, even though it's completely different than it was before. But I know that is a tough transition for a lot of people. Mm. Um, I'm fortunate that I suppose you know like yes I look physically my body's very different but I didn't have like my face smashed up or like any of it I basically Mm. look more normal now (laughs) because before I didn't look normal because being a rugby player you don't really look normal you're carrying all this extra weight you just um and it's just coming to terms with that but I'm yeah I'm I'm happy now yeah no it's really interesting though when you when you're used to being a certain way and then it it changes it's definitely a bit of a a transition in your mind yeah so I'm guessing you still gym as it were but your program's just completely different yeah definitely and actually I've probably got to spend more time doing the boring stuff you yeah. know and that's fine but I, I I'm the same as anyone like for some reason even though I'm so used to going to the gym I have done it my whole life you've always got that thing on your shoulder going 
don't go. Like, yeah, that yeah. That resistance that you've got to fight through because you never feel bad leaving the gym. But no. for some reason, there's always that thing stopping you go. Yeah. And actually, the challenges form part of the motivation to keep going to the gym. I think after about nine months of doing five or six hours of rehab every day after my accident, I was struggling to motivate myself to keep going because there was no like end game in sight. It wasn't like, mm. I want to pick that game or that season to, to aim towards. And the challenges for me throughout the year form something to motivate me to train towards. Definitely. Um, but coming off the back of a challenge I did um, a couple of months ago, I picked up an injury. We climbed the height of Everest and at Twickenham Stadium. Yeah, I think it's And I uh, got a bit of a repetitive strain injury in my back. So I've done literally no training going into this America trip. So it's going to be quite interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, you are crazy. I mean, I yeah. can't wait to hear how this, how this goes. So I want to quickly touch on another one of your challenges, which is very different, but you are launching a rum brand. Yeah. So very different type of challenge, but could you touch on um, a bit about why rum and where this has kind of come into your whole um, portfolio of things? Yeah, I mean, it's again another random thing to add to the mix, but one of my friends, Ollie, who I used to play rugby with, he actually helped me set up the charity as well, a friend of mine back in Bath. We both love rum, and this was just one of those stupid ideas in his kitchen a couple of years ago that we told more people about we've got some friends in the industry and now it's a real thing you know and we've got investments all of a sudden once you've got other people's money involved you've got to take it seriously yeah but it's exciting there's a team of eight of us we're launching in june next year it's a completely different world to the one i'm in at the moment or have ever been in before which again is exciting Mm. um but i'm just gonna have to be careful that i don't turn into an alcoholic I think whilst I've got to climb all these mountains and run a charity at the same Definitely. time well, you've yeah. got a good balance I feel yeah. like you've got like the the extreme exercise and you treat yourself with the rum like it's all kind of balancing out so yeah. talking of balance how do you balance everything because there is a lot going on here there's obviously constant training and recovery which I'm sure still you're still recovering every day so yeah how do you balance everything it's it's tough to be honest like and it's a work it's always a work in progress like I've had to learn to say no Um, I think I went through a stage a couple of years after my accident where opportunities were coming my way and I just want to say yes to everything. So I was like, life's too short, just grab it by the horn, say yes. And then a year after that, I found I was just like, rehab had gone out the window. I was just running from pillar to post, doing really exciting things, but um, my body was being affected because of it and probably my mental health a little bit. So I had to learn to let things go, which is difficult when you're enjoying everything you're doing. Mm. Um, But it is... It's learning to say no in a way that isn't... I, I'm I'm terrible because I'm just like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll just do things. And now you obviously do things for your mates and you do things that are important for your journey or that are going to inspire other people that fall in line with your passions. But like, for example, you, I waver off track again. And what happened in Nepal earlier this year made me think, hang on a minute, what's important again? Okay, you're going to have to let go of some of that TV stuff, which again, which is like you know that would seem like something you'd always want to do but yeah. you think right actually charity is more important you know how can I structure this moving forward um, and no doubt I'll fall off track again but it's more um, it's more letting go have learning the ability to just let go of stuff has yeah. been a really powerful tool rather than trying to trim things down it's like no I'm just not going to do that anymore yeah um, that's really yeah it's a really good advice actually and I'm very honored that you said yes to this because I'm yeah I mean that's really thank you for that I no, mean it's been a but I think yeah saying no is actually really hard but yeah. something which is really important and and I think it's better to learn to say no rather than say yes and just let people down 
Yeah. And I've been through that phase as well. I was just saying, it. I, I, I would just say yes to everyone. I'm a bit of a people pleaser, you know, and it's difficult to say no sometimes. But actually, if you say no in the right way and say no, because, you know, actually I'm not taking anything else on because I've got, I'm doing too much and I wouldn't want to half-ass what I'm doing for you, that sort of thing, mm. then it's much better than going yes and then letting people down all the time. And I was definitely yeah. in that stage as well for a bit. Definitely. I'm trying to do that to myself. I'm always like, when I agree to something, I'll probably give it my 100% attention. Because I'm one of those which would be like, oh yeah, I'll, for example, if my mum's like, let's go shopping, I'm like, okay. And I'm constantly like on my phone, emailing, yeah. whatever. Why? I'm, I'm not, the emails are probably rubbish and mum's annoyed because I'm not spending time like mm. speaking to her. So what's the point in doing it? That's a really good point as well. Like if you're going to do something, give it your full focus and attention and do it properly. And mm. if you're not, if you realise that you haven't got enough time to do that thing properly, then don't do it. Yeah definitely no I think that's yeah a really good point thank you so much we do have a final last question which I ask everyone but honestly thank you so much because this has been so motivational and you're a very inspiring person so everyone listening will be like wow no, I need to readjust no. my my mental state but my last question is again back to food again um I feel like you've probably been asked this question before but it's a tough one what would your last meal be oh um something with uh i think like so rack gonna... of ribs mac and then some sort of mac mac and cheese um yeah cheesy meaty thing nice <laughs> that okay. sounds yeah. yeah just like get it all in like yeah, all the yeah. naughtiness yeah and what about dessert um do you know you what? Are more probably savory. go massive cheese board yeah like yeah. i said although i am quite partial to a sticky toffee pudding Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe you've had too much cheese with the mac and cheese. Maybe yeah. the sticky yeah. Yeah. pudding. Yeah, that's true, actually. Would be the nice yeah. balancer. Yeah. That sounds great. Well, yeah. yeah, Ed, thanks so much for coming on and good luck with your challenge in the Christmas tree. I mean, it sounds intense, but yeah, I can't wait to see all your um, footage on Instagram, which I'm sure you'll share with us all. So thanks so much. No, it's my pleasure. And like, if anyone who's listening thinks that, like, we want to check out more about what the charity does and thinks and knows someone or is someone that thinks they need support in that way then don't hesitate to get in touch as well definitely definitely i'll put all the details of the charity in the show notes so they can just check it out there but thanks so much my pleasure thank you guys so much for listening and i hope you enjoyed this episode as much as i did ed highlighted such an important point about mindset and being grateful for what we have and have achieved so when you're looking back at your year this year please celebrate the wins as well as plan the goals for 2023 But thank you again so much for your support this year. Have a lovely Christmas and see you in the new year.